0: Alrighty. So episode three, thanks everybody for joining. We got, I burned my CD myself and TTC from turtle turtle club, a brand new pool that's taken over the scene. So, uh, thanks everybody for joining us today. And, uh, I know this is kind of soon since the last time we posted an episode about the coin burn, but we got kind of some overwhelming responses and a lot of questions. So we figured we'd push out another update. So, uh, I believe we have some V2 dev status updates, some, uh, some, well, yeah, I kind of fucked that one up, but yeah, we have some V2 dev yeah, status totally, updates. Totally
1: calling you out on the stutter on that one there, buddy.
0: Yeah, that's my fault. <laughs> I'm looking at my list here and I'm realizing I'm like, well, if I just run through this, it's going to look kind of dry. Anyway, I guess we can just get started with the V2 dev status updates and then, uh, go from there.
1: For sure. For sure. That probably makes the most sense. So, uh, We've got a couple of questions that have come up a couple of times, obviously in the chat and across the Reddit threads where people are looking for what the latest status is on the V2 development. And that largely comes from the fact that today the repo for V2 is private. And the reason that it's private and why we're keeping things a little bit close to the chest right now is because of the experience that we've had with forkers in the past, as uh, I think we've mentioned previously. So where we're at today with it right now, we've already started framing up the underlying database system that stores the blockchain locally on disk. So far, we've chosen to use LMDB for that. Uh, I believe we've been told before, and Rock keep me honest here, that LMDB is the best that it's ever going to be and the best that we're ever going to get, is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's effectively done. Uh, HyC did a really good job on it, and uh, it's been serving uh, other chains well. And it looks like it's going to work for us pretty well too. Uh, it's pretty much purpose built for the for what it's going to be doing.
1: True, and it's from from what I've seen so far working with it, it is it's a key value storage system. So it's kind of similar to Redis in in that regard. If uh, anybody's used that before. And kind of similar, in all honesty, to to RocksDB that we rely on primarily today. But uh, we've been working on framing out what that structure and schema looks like in LMDB and ultimately building out some of those structures that that are saved to disk.
0: And what this means to you guys is that little folder, that ever-expanding folder hidden in your hard drive somewhere. And you keep wondering, where the hell is all the space going? Well, this is uh, optimizations directly relating to that.
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we kind of learn going through the V1 code base is that there's a lot of data stored in that database. And some of that stuff is, believe it or not, just empty keys, which isn't exactly the best use of space. And some of the structures are kind of after the fact, I guess you could say in the V1 code base, nothing that we necessarily put together, but it's just one of those things that carried over from the Forknote code base, right? You know, the original implementation via Bitcoin. Yep. So we're, we're basically reinventing that, like we've talked about before and reinventing that schema going into V2, trying to be smarter about how we're storing data in that database to ultimately try to keep the files as small as possible. So, you know, it all circles back to the transaction sizes, the, the transaction structures, the block, the block structures and the sizes of those, but it's also the underlying database that, that deserves a lot of attention there to try to make the best use of the space that people give us.
0: That seems like uh, something that gets quite a quite a bit of use, but not enough attention. I know that in the beginning, RocksDB was just kind of like a general install uh, with regard to TurtleCoin V1. There wasn't necessarily a whole lot of optimization going on. And there was a lot of, I guess you could say, whittling along the way uh, that it took to get it really, I, I guess, Kind of humming like a like like a like an actual truck engine or something like that where it's just able to idle and and do fine whereas before it was you know a lot of sputtering and a lot of issues
1: yeah I remember a time when all of us basically st- stood around a campfire so to speak and said rocks db this this pile of flaming shit right you know and we would do anything to rip it out of there uh, but once we kind of started kicking the wheels a little bit and figuring out hey look you know, maybe this isn't exactly tuned to how we need to use it or tweaked. Uh, we found that there was a lot of knobs there that could be twisted in turn to help stabilize things.
0: Yeah, a lot and, and of ultimately,
1: that. Ultimately,
0: I was going to say a lot of that came from just reading the documentation that we hadn't really done a whole lot of before. You know, RocksDB has pretty good documentation and there were some little things in there that we had, I guess, either passed up before or neglected to acknowledge that were really relevant to our case
1: are you telling me that you didn't read the fucking manual
0: i may be saying that i may i might be i might not i'm gonna give you the glomar response on that one i can rather i can neither confirm nor deny i get it
1: i get it i, I mean it took a little lo- it took quite a bit of effort for us to kind of dive into that and take a look around and and figure out where those performance hits were at you know until it got relatively stable but we're looking to kind of avoid that right
0: yeah I was going to say it wasn't all one update either. It was like a series of updates. I think uh, Rashid had something to do with that. A lot of people had something to do with that. Z Palm, you. Yep, and uh, Yami Monster. He, he Yami, was, yeah, he used to come in and scream at us. Scream at us, he did. You know,
1: uh, that was probably, you know, one of my first instances of seeing hands on hips. You know, that yeah. were serious, that had had some merit behind it.
0: But if I recall correctly, it came with some good pointers and maybe even a pull request here or there. I know he has the core developer tag, and I think that was like the first time getting a PR at gunpoint.
1: Uh, this is very, very true. It's actually funny. I, it, his name just crossed my mind when I was digging through the repo the other day and uh, came across a couple of his commits. I am mean, like, oh, man, I haven't seen him for a while. and I thought I saw him light up in the chat not too long ago.
0: Yeah. So tell us about the P2P. I think that was another one that we had on the uh, V2 dev status updates.
1: Sure, sure. So the the peer-to-peer network side of things, you know, we, we've talked about kind of reinventing that, uh, geez, practically as long as I've been involved in the project, if you remember, you know, some of the first outlines that I put together were for the turtle-to-turtle protocol, right?
0: I remember that. That's still in
1: meta. It, it is, and it still is in meta. And, uh, you know, that was based on, Damn it, now I'm forgetting what it's called. That's how much I hate it now. Uh, the, the Google spec, uh, Proto Buffs, that's it. Took me a second there, but uh, it was largely based on that. And, you know, once we kind of dug into our, or I should say, once I kind of dug into how the protocol works today in V1, the the binary message packing actually isn't that bad. You know, and a lot of that stuff kind of digging into it, which which largely allowed, allowed me to build a lot of the utilities for TurtleCoin Utils, it's uh, the TypeScript. JavaScript package, right? And ultimately build out some additional functionality there. It led me down a path that, Hey, look, we can, we can do this binary serialization and and handle that just fine. However, as we approach V2, you know, we've got some underlying issues in that we want to support, you know, not only IPv4, but we also want to support IPv6, you know, have all that NAT pinholing and, and allow the peer to peer connections to flow easily and ultimately be able to build that mesh network that, that interconnects all the nodes, right?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Put put a pause on that for a second. A lot of little buzzwords and things like that just came out here, and a lot of people are probably what the fucking in silence over there. So what we're talking about whenever we, whenever we say things like NAT and pinholing and stuff like that, whenever you're running your TurtleCoin daemon and you're syncing for what feels like five years, Um, what you're doing in the background is you're talking to other nodes that are on the network. And whenever they're trying to speak back to you, or whenever they're trying to get in touch with you, if you're behind like a router, or, you know, some other network setup that is using network address translation it's not as easy to get in touch with you. And so what we're trying to do is kind of reconfigure the, the way that the nodes talk to each other so that they can have more direct means of being able to speak to each other whenever they're behind a few steps that may otherwise complicate things. Is that, is that pretty much the gist of it at a, like a explain like I'm five level?
1: Yeah, that's pretty close. You know, it it ultimately comes down to kind of pop it open the firewall, for lack of better words. And I say pop it open, not in the sense that, hey, look, it's free reign, but you're absolutely right. There's got to be a way for users to dial back to your node, you know, make sure that the nodes are interconnected at the network level, right? Yeah. So you're absolutely right with how you explained that. And that was excellent.
0: Well, it's like, uh, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, actually. I was uh, vacationing and I was in the mountains. And i realized that in the mountains it's really hard to get a cell signal and i was trying to get in touch with somebody and it and it very much felt kind of like trying to uh penetrate nap. kind of a poor analogy and i I, you know now that i kind of say it it really i don't know doesn't really have a whole lot of relevance to it but it was something that brought it to mind not too long ago
1: fair fair enough fair enough you know and there's that, that comes into play with a lot of networking applications. I mean, so if you've ever ran a, a home game server before for whatever game it is that you're playing, you know, you may have had to pop open a, a port forward, right through your router to your desktop machine or your gaming rig or whatever it may be. This is the same type of idea, but let's face it. That's not always easy for people to do. And, and we know that we want to try to make things easy, right? Yep. So some of the things that we, that I've kind of started to build out so far is helping to define the actual messages or the language, so to speak, that that goes across the wire when the nodes talk to each other. And, and that was kind of built out and roughed out uh, quite a while ago. It was what, last summer, last fall when I spun up that uh, P2P bot?
0: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And uh, we were working on uh, Rock's P2P, like the the early beginnings of the the P2P protocol implementation.
1: Yep. And, and I prototyped it up in in Node, you know, Node.js and Rockier started prototyping stuff up in in Go, right? Yep. And uh, we got them talking together. So at least we know that the message payloads make sense and that they're able to communicate and exchange data, you know, with, with the data structures that we've done. And we know that it's cross-language capable.
0: That's, you know that's one thing that I hope that we see more in v2 is less of a singular core code base and more implementations in different languages. That way, and maybe this is a poor way of putting it, but a little bit more competition or maybe a little bit more collaboration. Um, you know C++ is great and go is great and they do a lot of good things. but it's always a plus to see more of a distributed, uh, choice of distributions that you can choose to gain access to the network. Other larger networks like Ethereum, Bitcoin, they all have multiple multiple core implementations. And in my own opinion, I think that makes the community and the dev ecosystem a little bit healthier. How do you feel about that?
1: I agree, you know and that's been some of the goals you know, as I talked about, I think maybe the last podcast or the episode before that, you know and really kind of keep the code as clean as possible right and well documented and easy to follow because if if i build it out in c plus plus right you know and, and you see the structures and you see the logic flow it's pretty easy then for somebody to come along and build an implementation that matches so even from the standpoint of the networking side yeah the 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 documents you know that have been pulled together so far for that messaging protocol it's relatively straightforward. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously I wrote it and then you you read through quite a bit of it, right? And uh, did your implementation and go.
0: Based based off of your documentation, I was able to build something that worked. So given that I can do it, you know, I, I like to say that I'm a shitty programmer a lot, you know, but I'm, I, I'm all right, you know. And I think that there's a lot of other people out there that have that same amount of potential, and I think that they can make it work too, regardless of what language it's in, but not Python Leechy. Oh, for God's sakes. Anything but Python Leachy, You fuck. Yeah.
1: But, uh, to, to that end, like I said, it's the documentation aspect is going to be key to, to having those, those additional implementations. And I I'm all for, it. you know, I'm excited at the idea of somebody coming along and building an, another node in go or they want to take a crack at it in rust or uh, god forbid they want to do it in uh you know visual basic that that they could do it if they wanted to and that's that's kind of exciting to think about because everybody's going to have their different take you know they can they can run a different database system underneath they can run a different network library or whatever it is that they want to do there or or they can put their little tweaks on it you know without necessarily having to go and Push in C plus or, or learn C which let, let's admit it—you know, it's it's great, but it it definitely has a learning curve to it.
0: Yeah, it's it's not the easiest, and there's also different—you know—specs uh, of C plus. They're not all equal, and there's lots of different styles developing. You know, some some people may use Boost for everything, and some people might not.
1: Fuck Boost.
0: <laughs> how do you I'll feel just about make that clear? How do you feel about lodash?
1: Uh, It's quickly climbing up into the fuck boost category.
0: Yeah, I figured after last week with uh, getting dependabotted to death, I, I figured you'd uh, probably feel differently about it.
1: You know, in all honesty, and, and you got to remember that lodash is not a direct dependency of anything that I put together. It's always something else, like a linter, right? You know, or a formatter that to, to help clean up my mess. But come on, Node developers, get your shit together. Low dash is boost. Okay. And everybody knows that boost served a purpose for a time, but we're past that point. I mean, just
0: quit it. Standard library or die.
1: Pretty much. And, and that's, you know, to that point, you know, a lot of the work that I've done in the, in the V2 repo so far on the code base, it's all built on the standard library, you know, aside from some libraries that I pull in because reinventing the wheel isn't smart. Uh, but even those libraries that I'm pulling in are, you know, th- they're tried and true libraries that are bundling up functionality that's still built on the standard library, right? You know, it may yeah. call system-specific headers for, for different platforms, but, you know, why, why should I go through and rebuild an entire database system when obviously LMDB could work? Or right. why would I go diving into a network stack? And then have to deal with the intricacies of the different platforms and the V4 and the V6 addresses and and all that connection stuff. When there's already libraries that are well built, well tested and easily supported to handle that
0: stuff. So you're saying libraries or die? I'm saying
1: carefully selected libraries or die.
0: I'm just giving you shit,
1: man. Come on, we gave ourselves like you know a year to pull this off, and the timer's ticking here. I ain't got time to to rebuild everything, everything that is not part of the core technology from scratch. You know?
0: Yeah, I hear you. So one thing that was kind of uh, kind of new to me, at least in the P two P stack, and I'm no P two P god over here or anything, was the varant compression on the numbers. That was the first time I'd ever seen that, and it was the source of many days' headaches. Why don't you tell me a little bit one more time, one more again, how variant compression works?
1: Well, first off, it's not compression; it's encoding. Let's let's get those let's get that uh, nomenclature out of the way. All right.
2: Actually,
1: oh. Aw. <laughs> I got yeah. I got no rebuttal other than yeah, okay.
0: All right. Well, anyway, let's hear it about your varn. Any,
1: anyways, you know the the whole point of varn encoding is to uh, save space on the wire. So when we think about something like a a uint32 or 32 bit number, we know that it's going to take 32 32 bits on the wire. It's it's straightforward, right? But that that's a waste of bytes that are transferred or bits that are transferred on the wire. If we have a value that say is seven, right? Seven out of the number space for uint32 just is is a total waste of space. I mean, we're, we're wasting three bytes in that case to be able to store that and send that. So what Varint tries to do, or and it does it very well. I shouldn't say tries, but uh, what Varint does is it encodes that thirty-two bit value down into the smallest number of bytes that it can use to represent that number so even if that number is halfway between you know zero and the maximum value for un 32 it will not represent it as you know four bytes as, as normal and instead chop it down to maybe two or three bytes does this play a, a major role in what we're doing yeah, people could argue you know and, and i'm and if i recall correctly you did argue with me you're like what what the hell difference
0: does this make right I'm in a completely different camp right now.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're in a different camp because it all comes down to saving size, right? Yeah. It, it all cuts down on the storage requirements. It cuts down on the time, the bandwidth required to send transactions and blocks back and forth.
0: Yep, and it also gives you, you know, a little bit more wiggle room uh, to uh, you know, send more messages. It's great, Yeah, it's less, uh, less congestion.
1: Yep. And we use VARN encoding today in V1, you know, and that's one of those things that when we take a look at binary serialization or serializing data to binary directly to bytes, that made sense to bring over with us, so to speak, right? It it saves space, like I said, and ultimately it's pretty easy. It allows us to pack a UN64 clear down into just the number of bytes required instead of requiring eight. I mean, we can go even further. And pack or varrent encode, right? You went 160 or 128, one sixty fours, 128 to two fifty sixes. I mean, the sky's the limit. It just continues to roll over.
0: The other cool thing is the offsets. You know you lost me there, bud. Okay, so whenever we were whenever you were telling me about varants and everything like that, and you're basically unpacking them, you get the value and then you get the offset to read the next message.
1: Correct. I mean when, when you read it, you know, it's it's a it's a byte stream in essence. So you get a stream of bytes that come through from the wire or from a file or whatever it may be. And, and you don't know how long that varant is going to be. The way that the encoding works is it looks specifically for a value to exceed, or the uh, the bits, the upper bit to be set on the on the byte, in essence? And when it stops seeing that that upper bit set, or that, that most significant bit set, I should say, then it knows that it, that there's no more number coming, or there's no more parts of the number coming. So it's able to tell what that offset is or how many numbers or how many bytes it read to get to that point, which then allows us to continue to read that byte stream for the next field that's in play, right?
0: For me, that was the the cool part because you could take a large stream of seemingly random data and intelligently chop it up and deconstruct it into coherent messages or fragments of a message.
1: Exactly. I mean, that, that, that was pretty much what unlocked it for me, you know, was uh, the same Eureka moment, you know, when I was going through and building the turtle coin, Utils stuff and all the different parsing that comes into play for transactions and blocks and, and everything else in between, including some of the message payloads on the peer to peer side of things. That, that that's what was the key to it because nothing was making sense or parts of it were making sense, uh, in until kind of diving into that Var and stuff and going, Hey, this is actually pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I liked it. So, what do you have on the horizon for uh, for P2P? What's the uh, What's the next What's the next development?
1: So, probably the next thing on the list here, as I continue to kind of hook things up, is that uh, at this point, uh, I'm probably going to rely largely on ZeroMQ for the actual networking library because there's so much built in there and allows you to easily hook up hub and spoke messaging and one-to-one messaging and, and, and things like that, that that'll make building out the the network very easy. And not only that, but it supports V4 it, it supports IPv6 as well, straight out of the box. It's well documented, you know, it, it's a pretty good library and, and it allows me to skip building all that networking code while still getting a lot of the advantages of, of, all that work that's already done without reinventing that wheel
0: yeah zero mq is pretty good i've used it in some other projects i kind of like it
1: it's it's definitely kind of cool you know i i'm impressed so far with what i've seen you know and then ultimately it's just building our protocol on top of that network library so uh, that that's gonna be some fun you know that'll be the first i guess you could say test net so to speak yes when that foundational code is put together we'll spin a couple of things up and make sure that we can still exchange messages. Basically, just like what we did with the uh, P2P P2P bot in the Discord channel, right? Yeah,
0: anybody that's in Discord can check out dev underscore P2P channel. And that's actually a monitor of uh, the different nodes on the V2 network. Uh, well, it's not a full node, but it's at least the P2P stack. So the communication layer is up and live and running. And uh, I think there's even documentation floating around if anybody wanted to try their hand at implementing the P2P spec in uh, in their own language of choice. But anytime you communicate with it, you'll see whatever the opposite end. I think it's one of your nodes uh, what it interprets from that message. So if you mess cool. up, uh, it'll let you know. If uh, well, <laughs> it actually won't let you know. I think uh, if you if you mess up, but. If you send something correctly, you'll see it respond and it should, everything should decode correctly.
1: And, and we all know that I'm a big fan of if you say it incorrectly or you don't do it things correctly, I'm better off ignoring you. So that's the way that that bot works.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's more secure that way anyway. You know, you don't want to be parsing random data that doesn't fit the schema.
1: Exactly, exactly. God knows what, the, what they could get access to into that honeypot.
0: <laughs> i swear the secret pre-mine is man don't tell anybody Hide shh, shh, shh. it. so i think if that if that kind of wraps up the v2 dev status updates uh, i think we have a guest here that's probably uh, i calling. got one
1: more i got, got one, one, more one more sneak in that i just remembered that i didn't mention you know pre-show uh that i do want to sneak in there right all right let's hear it so i've started work in between everything else that's going on at building out the new ledger application for v2 uh, i've posted in the channels uh, a couple of different places i think in dev core a couple of the previews uh, of the readmes that are going in the v2 repo that explain how wallets are created you know how they're created from from seeds so randomly generated seed bytes you know and how the view keys created how the 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 public or i'm sorry the spend key is created as well All that information has been kind of posted and shored up. The idea of the sub wallets there. And I've started to frame out that code using the latest Nano or Ledger SDK, because there have been a couple of upgrades since the last code I put together here, and starting to get ready for that as well. Because I would love to be able to time this well, where we can try to get V2 into the Ledger Live app, you know, into that environment officially right around the time of launch. So I'm trying to do that at the same time and get planned for that. However, for me to wrap that up, I've got to wrap up the work on the core crypto library for Triptech, which God willing, I'll get done this week.
0: You know, if we can get the, uh, the ledger live, uh, integration done in time for V2 launch, man, I'd be down to purchase a few ledgers and, uh, do like some kind of contest or giveaway or something like that.
1: Oh, totally. De- definitely fill out the seed cards form beforehand to make it easy for him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's, that's dirty. Give <laughs> a second there, didn't it? That's dirty, man.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You know, we all laugh. And in all honesty, guys, you know, if you're listening in, if you buy a hardware wallet online and it comes with the seed card already filled out, wipe the device, throw out the seed card, and generate your own seeds.
0: Yep. You've been had.
1: All right, we can go ahead and move on to our, our guest that we brought on today.
0: Yeah, TTC, I've been, I've been just calling you by your initials this whole time, but you're actually the admin from TurtleTurtle.club, which is a new pool that's getting quite a bit of attention here in the chat. And I notice you've been putting a lot of work in with regards to helping people out and stuff. And most surprisingly, uh, I heard that you're kind of new at this. So do you mind starting off with uh, just saying hello and telling us a little bit about how you found Turtle?
2: Hey, guys. Yeah, um, you know, it's uh, it's been kind of a a fast journey. (laughs) I didn't expect to really end up here uh, from where I started. I was uh, mining another coin, and uh, it was just, it was boring. I was like, okay, there's got to be something more exciting out there. Um, I went looking, and uh, Ah! I just came across TurtleCoin as a good one for the, uh, you know, some of the lower-end AMD cards I have. And just started hopping through, uh, you know, trying different pools, trying different things out. Tried some solo mining. Um, Yeah, it led me to uh, Crappy's Pool, the interestingly named one. And, uh, you know, from there, I started thinking, well, you know, maybe I'll just try running my own pool. Because the the solo mining didn't really work. But I thought, you know, let's just see what's going to happen. Um, you know, and it was just going to be a private pool that I was just going to run my workers here on and, uh, you know, all oh, right. So, yeah, so I started looking for, uh, or looking at, uh, you know, trying to see how to set up a pool. Um, I think that's around the time I joined Discord too, just to kind of, uh, see what, uh, you know, find out more about the community, see if I could find out, you know, what, you know, what pools offer you should be running, what works, what doesn't. Um, there was a lot of older pool software out there from the previous algos, stuff like that. Um, so I'd come across uh, Crappy's GitHub from being on that uh, pool, and uh, you know tried to get that going. And of course, it wasn't compiling because of some issues with the uh, bad code that had been removed. Um, so I'd switch to another one, found out that was the bad code pool, and we went from there, um, And uh, Knife Tech had actually posted asking for for good pool code, and Crappy posted his, uh, or reposted his up on GitHub. Um, (laughs) Brain bird again.
0: (laughs) So had you actually run a pool before?
2: Uh, No, not at all. Wow! So that's wow, a pretty so that's short
0: cool. path from being a being a miner to a pool admin. Uh, how how is the adoption of your pool gone since you've started up, and what's the experience been like?
2: Yeah. Well, once uh, you know, once I had it going up and running, and then I was kind of seeing what was going on with uh, hero miners, and you know, I wanted to kind of try and do something to help. You know, I, so I decided, okay, why don't I just open it up, let's make it public. We'll go from there. Um, and it started picking up pretty quickly. So I kind of went, oh, I better do something here and make this a little more scalable. Uh, so I moved it up to a data center instead. Um, that's, yeah, pretty that's pretty fancy. Yeah, just, just from there, you know, we were just trying to get creative. You know, I tried to kind of give it a nice look um, as much as I could. I haven't done, you know, even basic CSS or anything in many years. But, you know, I thought I'd give it a try, see, uh, see what I could do. And, you know, we tried to put up a couple things on, like, the, uh, you know, the 10% finder reward. That's a huge hit, you know. So we're just, uh, you know, people are loving that. They're, they seem to be making a bit more overall, you know, over the long term. And, uh, yeah, it's a good community. We've got uh, everybody's helping each other. Um, which is big, too. So
0: So tell us about this Franklin bot.
2: Well, I found uh, in the code, uh, you know, the Discord uh, notification um, to kind of announce to the channels um, just to say, you know, bot found, bot orphaned, whatever it is, right? Um, So I set him up, and then I thought, okay, I want to figure out from there what else he can do? I wanted to get worker notifications and stuff on. So, you know, I've started uh, just playing around with the code a little bit, um, trying to, uh, you know, just figure out uh, how to make him do some more things. Right now, he just kind of talks back a bit. Some of the common things that come up, um, you know, because he announces the block. Everybody talks to him when the block's missing. So we always, uh, so now if somebody says, come on, Franklin, he will say slow and steady wins the race. You know? <laughs> <laughs> nice some funny things like that you know
0: so what was your background before this were you are you a technical person if it's not prying too much you know
2: no no i've been doing um it support and uh help desk and that kind of stuff for for a long time uh you know first in telecom more so than it and now uh in an msp so you know i help run an msp and we just uh Yeah, it's kind of troubleshooting and and helping people with their IT is kind of what I do, so.
1: Do you work for me by chance?
2: Well, not that I know of. (laughs)
1: Fair (laughs) enough. Only because I'm laughing because uh, those of you that may or may not have dug into at least my background uh, work a lot in telecom for a large managed service provider. So I never know what I'm going to run into people that work with in our organization. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and you know it's it wouldn't be the first turtle coin developer or uh service provider that, that works for you either
1: no no not at all as far as i know last count uh when so I it's kind a of legit took question took a look around i think i'm up to like five you know people within the organization that are hidden throughout the uh the discord and then of course there's a couple that are you know a little more prominent
0: yeah that's uh that's actually pretty funny <laughs> small world you know
1: absolutely absolutely
0: yeah i've seen a turtle coin sticker on a car before uh, i've seen people wearing turtle coin shirts but i haven't really had anybody like run up to me and be like you know you have that uh soft and buttery smooth patois like that fella rock steady
1: you but know maybe one day maybe one day i mean I, i've been called out before but uh People tend to follow me a little bit, a uh, little bit closely, you know, when it, when it comes to uh, organizational stuff and, and stuff in my professional life, I guess you could say. So uh, they stumble across it. That. that and, you know, as we've talked about before, I, I use my government name on everything. So it's not like I'm hiding anything. It stands out like a sore thumb.
0: So you're saying that you're not the voice actor for Duke from the Bush's Baked Beans commercial.
1: I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs>
0: So
2: TTC, how much hash rate do you guys have? Uh let me uh take a look. I know we're coming up close to uh 1 mega, I think. Uh, maybe around 800, but uh yeah, actually I actually haven't checked in a while, so. So what's
0: what's the easiest way that somebody can start mining on your pool?
2: Yeah, well if you just go to uh turtleturtle.club um or pond.turtleturtle.com, <laughs> Just Garbled my tongue all over that. More edibles. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't been, should been hitting the bomb so hard while you guys were talking.
0: <laughs> Good old Canada,
2: right? Um, but yeah, if you just go to uh, pond turtle turtle uh, dot club, you can hit the uh, getting started page. Our Discord links there too, um, so you can just hop in. You know. Um, any one of us can help get you up and running. Uh, We've been learning a lot on all the different uh, GPUs and the different miners and tweaking settings and, you know, um, cards that, you know, we were kind of thinking maybe didn't work on Turtle. We've been able to get going, you know, with the help, you know, we've been, you know, asking, uh, asking around, talking to developers, you know, just trying to get all the information and make sure everybody, you know, they have something even remotely able to mine Turtle. We're trying to get it up and running, and it's, uh, we've been really successful. So,
0: You know, that's something that I've been very impressed with. Uh, there's not often a pool that comes along, and especially not from a person that hasn't run a pool before, that actually sticks around and puts in the work and helps out users. And I see more often than not that you gain uh, miners because you're in there in the mining channel, putting in work, helping out people, getting them set up mining. And then the inevitable question comes along, hey, what pool should I use? And then you're Johnny on the spot right there. And I think that's great. And I wish that we would see that from uh, more pool owners. Uh, in the early days, we used to see a lot more of the, the uh, service providers that would run pools and wallets and things like that. And uh, in a way, I think some of them maybe have gotten complacent or as the usage of their pool has kind of declined a little bit, maybe they have stopped showing up in the Discord more or answering support requests, things like that. Um, But I don't know if that's like a chicken or egg situation. So I definitely wanted to recognize that, that you're in there and uh, being one of the most helpful people in there. So definitely thanks for that. And I hope that um, more people come to your pool because uh you're so close to being on the the little pools monitor thing whenever you type exclamation point pools in the chat there's like a little uh graphic for anybody listening that shows a pie chart of how much each pool has hash rate wise and though hero miners is no longer over 50 percent um it still consolidates a lot of the smaller pools into the same uh, pie slice and i would really like to see turtle turtle turtle.club get its own little slice of the pie on that graphic hopefully soon
1: well taking a look at the current hash rate it looks like uh he'll have to get up to about three mega hash total to to you can do that has to exceed one percent yeah you can do that I, I know how, I know how you can do that for sure. So t- tell us a bit more about that finders reward that you mentioned that, that kind of intrigued me a little bit.
2: Yeah. So it's, uh, you get 10% of the block, uh, if you, uh, find or solve the block. Um, so right off the top, so you're getting, uh, 2,600 ish, right. Um, and we're finding that it's not just going to the high hashers um we had one you know a little um cpu hasher that's in discord we'd help them get up and running the very next day they found a block so they got 2600 ish plus their uh you know plus their contribution right so and i find for me like i'm about 40 uh kill hash and about almost every day i uh, you know i get the reward from one of the blocks so You know, it's definitely going around, though. I can see it, uh, you know, a lot of the different miners are getting it. So, you know, it's nice to see it kind of spread out. I wasn't sure if it was just always going to go, you know, kind of to the big hashers. But, you know, it's good to see that the, uh, you know, some of the smaller hashers are getting it, too.
0: I heard the word on the street is the, the the better terms you're on with Franklin, the better your chances are of popping that block yourself.
2: Oh yeah, we uh it, it's funny cuz it's it just kind of started as a thing because uh we had uh I think it was like a 400% or it it was something, you know, kind of really extreme uh block and I just kind of I tagged him and just kind of said, "Hey Franklin, come on. You know, what's going on, buddy?" And uh you know, and then the block popped out. <laughs> um, you know, and then after that, we had a run of about eight blocks. We actually found um there was a block that was uh, like one second apart. The effort was a question mark. Wow, wow. (laughs) I was like, whoa, I don't know what the probability is on that one. But, uh, you know, after chewing through that, you know, kind of 400% effort one, you know, uh, I think we were due. But it was, uh, yeah, it's just kind of neat to kind of watch how this, uh, how it kind of works out. Yeah,
0: it's really cool. It's definitely fun uh, whenever you're coming up on a small pool because it's really a team effort to get the hash rate up there, and everybody's you know grabbing their mom's laptop and everything and signing everything up. So I think it's really cool to watch it all coming together. And you guys have really uh, crossed a lot of ground in just a small amount of time. And I hope that a lot more people are enticed over to your pool by the finders reward. That's that's a really cool thing that not a lot
2: of pools do. Yeah, you know, I was trying to, you know, think creative when we saw, you know, when when Hero was really bad there and, you know, 78%, I was like, there's got to be a way, there's got to be a way we can, you know, get people off and, you know, it's good and and they're learning lots too and, you know, um, you know, the questions are getting better and better all the time and we just keep trying to add to you know, like the configuration and stuff like that, there was, you know, there's like three little gotchas we've learned today about different cards. So we're going to get those up on the website under the getting started. And, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, try and as the questions come up, we try and get them in the FAQ and stuff like that as well. So
0: that's really cool that you're building an FAQ. That's going to be really valuable because we're seeing a lot of people, you know, despite that mining is going away here pretty soon, a lot of people are still flooding in wondering, how can I get some TurtleCoin? They may not have access to an exchange or they may not have a friend who can give them some uh, or they may not have been around long enough to accumulate some tips. So, learning how to mine as quick as possible, people don't realize how accessible it is. And I think folks like you that are out there kind of showing folks, hey, you know, just grab whatever hardware you got. Let's figure out if we can make this work. Um, I think that's really helpful. And uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about uh, since you're relatively new here, your perspective on things is going to be a little bit different than ours. Uh, Burn and I have been around for quite some time. And, uh, we we tend to see a lot of the same questions and things like that. And after a while, I guess we kind of get blind to some of the the questions that are more common. So as a new person, uh, my question is, what are some of the common questions that you're seeing um, about V2 and about Turtle in general that so far remain unclear, hazy, or not explained at like a basic enough level?
2: Yeah, well, I know, like, uh, you know, in the past couple of podcasts, you guys have really done a good job of, of covering a lot of this stuff. So I think, you know, um, it, it's people are figuring it out. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be that group of people that wants to know the value, um, you know, but beyond that, it's, uh, you know, uh, people are really starting to get excited. I know I am like, I, I want to know as a, you know, as a service operator, how that's going to look and, you know, how what it's going to mean to be, you know, a good candidate. Right. Uh, you know, what, what are the things we can do to get ready for that? And, you know, with the mining too, you know, a lot of people that were originally going, Oh, okay, well, you know, I guess I'll have to switch to another coin. I'm like, well, no, there's, you know, still going to be ways to, to be involved and, and, you know, there's still going to be ways to kind of earn rewards per se. Um, you know, so, and they're kind of paying attention more and reading more of the V2 FAQ. And yeah, like I said, the questions are getting, you know, um, more and more complex, I'd say.
0: And that's definitely something that we appreciate. Um, you know, it's it's easy to throw out when moon and other things like that. But whenever we get the more complex in-depth questions, and uh pointers to other uh critical conversations, I think those things are really important to us because it kind of keeps keeps us limber and uh keeps us moving. What are the what are some of the the concerns that you're seeing other new persons like yourself that are that are um kind of common questions that we may may not have addressed yet? Uh what,
2: how do you guys think uh, TurtleCoin turtle coin will look in three to five years?
1: Well, it'll have a shield. Um...
0: A turtle
1: shaped shield. Yeah, exactly. A turtle shaped shield. We'll have blocks. We'll have transactions in three years, tough call. You know, the goal here is, is that V2 will be a move that gives us plenty of runway in my mind I think I mentioned what on the, on the second podcast that we did rock that I'm already starting to put some thought at least from my perspective into what the next generation beyond V2 looks like. But I don't know when that timing is going to land. I, I mean, we kind of talked about that a little bit before, that quantum aspect. yeah. And that time may come in three to five years. We we don't know what that looks like today, but it's, it's possible.
0: Yeah, that's something that, you know, even though it doesn't seem like it's uh, consumer grade or anything like that yet, it's definitely something to keep in mind and uh, forewarned is forearmed, you know?
1: exactly so you know in three to five years we could be looking at v2 and, and it's rocking on and who knows maybe somebody's come along and integrated smart contracts and all the crazy stuff that all the kids are looking for these days and then shortly behind that we we make the move to quantum resistant you know cryptography and you know the lattice-based signatures who knows it's hard to tell uh, all that we can think about today is you know what the what the next six months look like and, and getting through the transition to V2. Uh, Beyond that, it's really hard to really think about, I shouldn't say think about, but really plan for any further out, Uh, but rest assured, you know, there's going to be other integrations that, you know, I talked about last episode, all the different possibilities for ways that people could build staking pools or, or transaction mining pools. I mean, there's going to be updated integrations. I've got to go through and do an update on turtle pay. All that type of stuff is going to come into play and it's going to come in behind, you know, the v 2 launch largely. Right. So I I imagine that there's going to be quite a few things that are going to be very interesting and we're hoping with all the additional work that we're doing, you know, reaching out on social media, doing these podcasts, all this. uh, Reaching out to everybody, letting them know that it gets people excited and it gets them involved, you know, and it's all about the documentation to to drive people to want to build something on the network.
0: So where I, where I kind of see things going a little bit is, uh, you know, not only kind of strengthening up the infrastructure of the network, but also developing some interesting second layer solutions. We're seeing a lot of people asking about, you know, what are some things we can do with regard to high throughput applications or bringing uh, games on the blockchain, things like that. Uh, even people that are asking for things like tokenized assets, NFTs and stuff like that. And, It constantly makes me think of Karai and how that could be used in conjunction with TurtleCoin to extend the functionality of the chain itself so that we're not necessarily forced to share a burden of whatever hot game crypto turtles or whatever. Uh, And that way, the people who are interested in that type of thing can operate their own side network that is still operating in tandem with the TurtleCoin network uh, and is, is enabling them to have a much higher throughput without... Uh, I I don't want to say burdening, but adding extra load to the rest of the network that may not be involved with that. I think that's something that's going to be a key to the network. Um, I kind of tend to embrace the Unix philosophy of do one thing and do that one thing very well. And for TurtleCoin, that's being a transaction network. And like I was saying in the last episode, at the most, all I want to see is just like a little bit of metadata in the transactions because, we really shouldn't be piling on the network with forever data as i've come to call it
2: yeah for sure the lighter we can keep it the better
0: yeah pretty much so during the whole uh, nft craze and during the whole token craze a lot of people were asking about like well when are we going to be able to release tokens and erc 20 style assets on the turtle coin chain and it was no uh, it was not really that difficult to put that together in Karai. And I was able to put together a proof of stake, uh, balance based network that was, you know, it took two seconds. So, um, I'm interested to see what other people put together. Uh, it wasn't something that I delivered into the public domain because that just seemed a little bit careless, but, um, it shouldn't be too difficult to anybody with similar motivations.
1: Yeah. Would you remove the privacy aspects of, uh, you know, the technology that we're working with today and in V2, everything is all, gets a lot easier.
0: Yeah, the clouds suddenly part.
2: TTC, what else do you see people asking? Uh, apparently my cat has a question. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I just see, so somebody just asked on the Reddit too, not too long ago, um, in the move from uh, POW to POS in V2, is the system for staking and delegating to staker nodes implemented and tested? In the previous podcast, you guys had mentioned, from what I understood, that too many or too few stakers staked coins would knock a node out.
0: Yeah, so I think what they're talking about there is kind of the uh, the lottery system and also the selection process for how um, how how we're delegating uh, how we're delegating things. So whenever whenever you think of a traditional proof of stake network, you typically think make, it's like a, like a, the biggest person takes all the person who can stake the most takes all the person who can, you know, who can accumulate the most currency is going to be the person who could potentially produce all of the blocks. And so we had an interest in not replicating the hero miner situation in, and creating like a hero staker situation. So it was important to us to remove the biggest and the smallest candidates. Uh, Byrne, do you want to go into that some?
1: Sure, sure. So uh, I'll talk about this in a a little bit more detail. So I'll kind of take it from the top if you don't mind. Uh, But when we start off in the staking process, it's a multi-step stake. So it's important to keep that in mind. The first step of staking is that if you want to operate a candidate node, you're going to have to Launch that node, it's going to require that you're going to generate a key pair, you know, a a private key and a public key and announce that public key to the network as basically saying, I'm running for candidacy to take a spot as a producer or a validator. When you announce that you're going to have to put up some funds to make that announcement. I mean, it's basically just like any other election. You've got to pay something to get into the race, you know, so to speak. After you've done that, that does not give you the ability to produce blocks or validate the blocks. What that does is literally just put you on the ticket, so to speak. People still have to come in and vote for you. And they vote by using their turtle, staking their funds, and basically turning it into a vote on the network that votes for you. One turtle equals one vote. Every time that an election process happens, we take a look at all of the candidates that are currently staked, you know, that users have voted for. We tally up the total votes for each one of those candidates, sort them top to bottom by vote count, and the top and the bottom, like Rock just said, are thrown out. And again, the reason that we throw out the top is to make sure that we don't have a situation where somebody is always in the running because they threw everything that they had at it. You know, that's not the right way to handle that. We want to distribute this. We want the network to play well together. We want the nodes to do what they're supposed to do. And we also throw out the bottom side. Why throw out the little guy? Well, if we're throwing out the top, it's only fair to throw out the little guy as well. You know, if all he's got is one vote, let's be honest here. He's got one vote, you know, that that, that just messes with the math a little bit.
0: Well, also that if if we acknowledge the the single the single vote candidates, that would really kind of put a burden on the system. Also, it would allow somebody to uh, spam up the low value candidates.
1: Absolutely, you know that's the other aspect that I was going to dive into there. In that, you know, to to your point, uh, they could just throw the, those single votes out there. You know, they could throw all their candidates out there. They could create hundreds of them if they wanted to. And then we run into a simple situation, right? You know, with just one stake or one vote behind them. We, we don't want that either. So, you know, when it goes through the election process, one of the first things that it does, and, and a lot of this stuff is actually outlined in the V2 overview article as well. Uh, but it actually runs down through that list and it takes a look at all of the hashes for the blocks in the last round that completed. And it rolls those up in essence into a Merkle hash that is used to compute a cut line. Just like if you went to the casino and hopefully all of you guys are old enough to know what a casino is and, uh, and how this works. It's like having a deck of cards and then cutting it somewhere in the middle. We use that Merkle hash to cut that list of candidates and all of their votes at that point. And depending on where you're at, you know, in that vote count, so to speak, It's going to take, and it's going to drive that process on whether or not it's figuring out whether or not you're a staker or a validator for that round. But again, it's just turning you into a candidate producer or validator for that particular round that's upcoming. We actually take some of that same information. We, we apply some drive functions and, and, and things like that to, to generate a method for us to roll through using fun modus based math, right, or modulus based math to roll over then the possible candidates in the producers and the validators to ultimately arrive at, you know, the, the number of elected candidates for that particular round. Those that are elected into the producer group are the ones that will be able to produce blocks that round. Those that are elected into the validators group, as you can imagine, Those are the ones that will be able to validate blocks that round.
0: That makes sense. I mean, it sounds really complex and everything, but at the end of the day, it's really to ensure the most fair system for everybody.
1: Exactly. And and the key there is seeding that that random selection or that pseudo-random selection with the prior block data. You know, that's the important thing. And we needed to set it up in such a way that it was entirely deterministic so it could be easily reproducible by all of the nodes that are, that are on the network. You know, you can always follow along and see exactly how it would play out exactly how the election should be. So we can tell who should be producing blocks when, and who should be validating blocks.
0: That's a good way of putting it, and I think uh, what this will bring the value uh, to a lot of the the smaller folks out there. Uh, wh- well, I should rephrase that. I think the value that this will bring to a lot of the smaller uh, miners out there with concerns that their their power isn't enough that they could probably run this, uh, you know, on pretty low power hardware. It's not going to require like a huge rig or any type of significant investment. Your only concern, really is just reliable uptime and good latency. So you just need good internet and constant power to your machine.
1: And to add to that, you know, a beautiful thing that, uh, that we are going through, I should say that I, I am going to plan on going through and testing here is that because of the way that the election process works, the way that the nodes work at the end of the day, you should be able to run the, the node software on multiple machines, multiple geographic places and use that same key set so even if one of them failed you know so to speak there's another one that can pick up that load you know and still take and perform the work that that you're required to do if you're running as a candidate and you get elected cuz the last thing that you want to do is be elected and then not fulfill your duties because what happens when you when when you don't fulfill your duties rock
2: blood for the blood god blood for the blood god no, that's, uh, that's all really great because, you know, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking at. And especially, you know, being, you know, in the data center I'm in, right, being in the cloud, you know, I can very easily replicate and load balance. And, you know, there's some extra stuff I can set up to, you know, make sure that there's coverage there.
1: Oh, 100%. You know, that, that was pretty much my greatest fear in kind of putting this together is that, you know, I, I'm, the, I'm the same way. I like setting up multiple instances. You know, if you've looked at any of the work I've done uh, largely in a lot of the, the, the JavaScript and, and TypeScript packages, very microservice oriented, you know, and, and to Brock's point earlier, the Unix minds that do one thing and do it very well. That That's what I like to strive for in some regards. But I also like to be able to set up high availability stuff and, and keep things rolling. So that way, if something does happen, I didn't just have half of my coins slashed, you know, or, or whatever that works out to in the end, you know, having that resiliency there, knowing that I can run it multiple places, obviously not all in the, da- the same data center, that's going to make it a lot easier for people to do it. And as Rock said, it's not going to take a lot of resources to do this. I mean, a lot of the technology that we're playing with here, the the bulletproofs are relatively easy to verify you know even, even on a reasonably you know new machine so to speak you know something in the last couple uh, five six years an amiga is and, not going to do it an, an amiga is going to struggle you know i'm not going to say it's not going to do it it's definitely going to struggle and and even the signatures you know the Triptech signatures you know it's relatively easy lift validating the proof of work you know for the transactions again easy lift uh, it, it's it's pretty straightforward so You know, you will be able to run a node on a Raspberry Pi. That was my next question. Yeah. Yeah. Typically without issues. It may not be the fastest thing in the world, but uh, it it will certainly work. It'll be able to pull it off. You know, the storage will be there. Might have to hook up some external storage, but the, the power is certainly there.
0: That's pretty cool, I know that's gonna be music to a lot of uh people's ears because there are a lot of people out there that are like, "Hey, I got this Raspberry Pi. I'm gonna start mining. You better hide your coins.
1: Best of luck to you, buddy,
0: yeah
2: well, and then there's the Android mines, so. yeah, put it in the freezer,
0: yeah,
1: and could you technically run a node on a cell phone? probably you know as long as you get the storage for it, and uh you get a solid connection there, I mean again, it's not. It's not super heavy. It's not like mining, right? You know, that's the important thing to understand that while we're getting rid of mining for the verification and of transactions and, uh, and the creation of blocks, right, what we're replacing it with is very friendly, you know, to run on practically any hardware. The real thing that you need to be able to pull this off is honestly just the turtle to, to stake, you know, whether it's a candidate or as votes, you know, and it's important to remember, even if you can't run a candidate node, you know, you, you don't have access to a data center, you don't have reliable internet access, you're in the middle of the desert, or as Rock said earlier, you're in the middle of the, the forest up in the mountains, it doesn't matter. You can still participate. You can still earn staking rewards just by casting your votes, using your turtle. For your favorite candidate notes
0: so i'm looking back at the uh the thread ttc i don't know if you're looking but we're getting quite a bit of engagement there um let's see we got master pirate who actually says mining with new hardware what's the current timeline of projects for turtle where can other developers look to find out more about turtle such that the toxic individuals don't just throw garbage at individuals who want to be a part of the community Will you be working with any other tokens or coins to pair with? Can you let us know about the usage rights to the logo and or its derivatives? Can any one person apply to help with designing, helping with design? Huh. Okay.
1: Well, let's let's unpack that real quick, right? You know, let, let's start from the bottom here. Can anybody help with the design? Sure. Hop into the Discord, you know, have a conversation in the marketing so channel.
0: So the place to go to for that is github.com slash... TurtleCoin slash brand, and that will have our brand guide for 2020 and 2021, and that should have all the assets that you need. Um, Please do take care to spell it correctly, capital T, capital C, all one word, and uh, I think that should remove a lot of the toxic individuals Um, if you're looking with regards to development hop in the chat and just tell us what language that you're most comfortable in and what you want to work on and we have so many repos and projects and things like that there's definitely something that you can get your hands into and though your work right now won't be as relevant in the context of v2 uh, it'll give you the skills and the tools and the familiarity and the rapport that you need so that uh, in whenever V2 rolls around, you'll be able to transfer that knowledge uh, fairly readily. And hopefully people will recognize you for your efforts. So uh, I think we have another question there. Yayo, let's go. Some questions that I find interesting. What are the biggest issues you all see in other crypto projects? Do you have a specific use case in mind for TurtleCoin, or are y'all just doing what you think would make the perfect crypto and let people figure out what to use it for? What was the biggest mistake y'all have made so far in developing TurtleCoin? On the flip side, what is something y'all are proud of yourselves? What is something y'all have done well? ELI5, TurtleCoin. Uh, that's kind of low effort y'all keep saying you don't make decisions based on the value of currency but what if it would go down to zero what if nobody would use TurtleCoin anymore and that for a prolonged period not few 100 dollars trading volume day but legit zero not a nothing what would you do do y'all think there will ever be a v3 you don't have to answer all or any but i'll personally would find answers to those questions interesting yeah those are some good questions and uh you know with respect to the price questions it's still a legit question i guess um so he says what are the biggest issues y'all see in other crypto projects A big issue that I see in other crypto projects is doing too much moon chasing, too much chasing the next opportunity, the next listing, the next whatever uh, social fanfare that they can get. And they don't spend enough time developing their code and handling the load for once those people arrive. So the great thing about uh, crypto and promotions and things like that is that it's relatively easy to pull in people, but it's not easy to pull in people that are going to be savvy users that are going to benefit the project uh, in a positive way and not just leave as soon as the price goes, whichever direction is the, the, the direction that takes them out. So, um, How will TurtleCoin look in three to five years? I think we answered that one. Uh, yep. Do you have a specific use case in mind for TurtleCoin? I think we kind of covered that in the transactional nature uh, of TurtleCoin discussion and the whole Unix philosophy thing. But the interesting question that I kind of want to get to is what's the biggest mistake and what's the things that we're proud of and what is something that we've done well burn do you want to take that
1: oh man that's a that's a little question because I actually think we touched a little bit on this in the in the first, About the forking uh, discussion well the, the whole yeah 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 we'll, we'll circle back to that there but uh, I think we I think we dug into this quite a bit as a result of the stories when we were talking through the first episode with with MetaPrimer, right? Uh, But, you know, some of the biggest problems that I I think that we ran into or some of the biggest mistakes largely was that fork, you know, asking people to fork the code base, play with the code base, and then ultimately, hopefully submit some pull requests back, you know, to contribute back to the project. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. You know, they, they forked it, they created shit coins, they split, uh, split the community off a little bit and uh, eventually quite a few of them went and pulled the rug and, and that, that just wasn't, that wasn't good for us. That's probably, it's probably the dark time or the darkest times in my mind. Uh, beyond that and some of the other mistakes, uh, stress testing, stress testing the network uh, in ways that uh, we didn't really. We didn't really foresee it doing, but we learned a lot in the process. So I
0: used to send, like, mix in 1,000 transactions, and it would just drop the network.
1: I mean, if I really want to think about the biggest mistake, though, personally speaking, I think it was our fork to Chukwa, you know, Chukwa V1, uh, where the plan was to reset the difficulty and let it oh, uh, yeah itself out. And ultimately what I think we made it six blocks past the, uh, the fork height or the upgrade height, right? Before the chain, um,
0: died. Yeah, it seriously died. I think we didn't have a transaction for like 30 minutes.
1: No, it, 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 if I remember correctly, the difficulty dropped to zero, <whistles> which, uh, if, if you've ever played with the, the code base or, or taking a look at a lot of the crypto networks out there. If difficulty drops to zero, it is impossible to mine a block anymore. Can't divide uh, by zero. Can't divide by zero. Exactly. Uh, so what we had to do quick was uh, say, well, that was a nice thought and uh, quick patch, you know, the software for, for the release, have the pools, get that rotted, rewind a couple of blocks and, and just redo that, uh, that upgrade. height. that was probably my biggest personal mistake that. Man, I, I swear to God, I tested it on test nets and, and toyed around with it. and It went smoothly, but uh, here's one of those things where it works great in the lab, but in production, we should know better.
0: You know, that was the one time where having such a centralized pool structure really uh, really worked in our favor.
1: Yeah, thank God for, uh, I think it was mine together, mine together that saved us Disco Tim uh, that time because if it wasn't for him pulling that patch quick, it could have been an ugly evening.
0: Yeah, it could have been really bad. I remember having a really sweaty mustache over that whole situation.
1: Yeah, I felt like an ass.
0: So, on the flip side, what's something that y'all are proud of yourselves, and what's something that you've done well?
1: What am I proud of myself
0: for, man? A lot of different things. But you know what uh, I'm proud I of? stroking. Yeah, go for it. I'm proud of getting rid of, uh, exile or not sending people to exile as often now. I'm proud of, uh, coming back with trade discussion in the chat and how, uh, the reason why I say that is, you know, even though I'm not a trader, um, I feel that it kind of hurt the community a little bit for me to be so hard on the people about trade discussion in the chat. And in the beginning, though, it had, uh, you know, noble, noble intentions of just keeping everything above board. I think it did kind of hurt the, the process of discourse in, in the chat. And so I, the thing that I'm proud of is that we're able to, or at least I'm able to acknowledge the faults that I made and we were able to begin the process of undoing uh, those wrongs. And uh, through that has led a lot less people into exile and, uh, now I don't know if people have even noticed we have like a, uh, whereas exile, whenever somebody was acting up on the server, uh, it would send them to this room called exile and everybody in the server can see exile, but the person who is exiled can only see that channel or they can only participate in that channel. And, uh, in the beginning, uh, we had a few people go there. A few people spend months, years, whatever, days, hours, And we would give them simple challenges like do some turtle origami or sing karaoke with us or something. Something that would endear them to the community. And then we'd let them out. And uh, every year we would let let everybody out. You know, we have an amnesty day on December 9th. And we still, to this day, unban all this. Even the spam bots, we unban everybody on uh, December 9th. And so I think that it's kind of an important thing that we talk about Castaway Island, <laughs> so whereas Exile made it to where
1: Castaway Island,
0: yeah, so whereas uh, Exile made it to where you could only uh, participate in that one channel, Castaway Island makes it to where you see an identical general chat, and you can still speak in all of the other chats, uh, all the other rooms unimpeded, just fine. But you see a special general chat that is just you and the Rancor and uh, a few other people that are on the island with you. And, of course, your friend Wilson. And so that's it. Um, it's, it's very effective. People don't even know that uh, they weren't presentable for the main face of the chat. And uh, everybody still gets to get their point across. They still get to go to the, the trader chat. And uh, everything seems to work out well. And only the ones that were there with uh, pretty bad intentions uh, seem to stick around in Castaway Island. So it's working out pretty well, and hopefully someday we can get rid of that too.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. And, and 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 I'll echo that. You know, as as much as it probably grinds my gears, you know, talking about value and stuff like that. You know, bringing bringing the traders back has been has been interesting. You know, because it does give us a a perspective that. You know, I, I don't know that we were as uh, acutely aware of because I, I, I never made it into the, the former Marco talk servers because every time that I did, they ran me off. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it, it shows a perspective, you know, and, and there are certain people that do come here just for that aspect, right? And, and we do get a chance to talk to them. And, uh, and it's surprising how many people that when you get to talking to them a little bit, uh, you know, and, and get past that one moon, so to speak, that that they're not that bad, you know, that, that they have some interesting stories there. They have some interesting perspective. You can actually have a conversation back and forth. So in that regard, I guess I'm kind of happy for that as well.
0: Yeah. So uh, his next question is, y'all keep saying you don't make decisions based on the value of the currency, but what if it would go down to zero? What if nobody would use TurtleCoin anymore? And that for a long time, for a prolonged period, not few hundred dollar trading volume days, but legit zero. What would you do? Well, so here's the deal. Uh, turtle coin started out with the value of zero for the longest time. It had the value of zero, even after it spiked and then went all the way down to something like five or six bucks per million. It effectively had a value of zero. And there were days where it was like six by Toshi or something like insanely low. And it was very, easy to not see an end in sight and the great thing about the way and well one thing that i think we've done well is we've never used the price to motivate the things that we do we understand that there will be Good times and there will be bad times. And without the bad times, the good times aren't so good. And the relationships that we make with the people that come by and still work with us despite the value being low are the lasting relationships that we end up taking with us into V2, V3, and everything in the future. And I think every time that we make one of these one of these bonds, one of these lasting relationships, it, it adds to the team. And more often than not, people who stick around and don't even have intentions of being a programmer... End up learning things here, end up learning life skills. We've seen people get jobs. We've seen people, you know, learn new, entirely new fields of discipline. And I think it's really important to recognize those people that are around whenever the value is presumably pretty low. So if it went down to zero, yeah, it would hurt, Uh, but it would be more like an ego hurt. But we'd still be doing the same thing that we're doing now. And uh, if it truly went down to zero and people weren't trading it for days, that would probably be an extreme warning sign uh, that something has gone wrong with the financial system. So I can't say that uh, it's likely, but I can say with great certainty that we'll just keep on keeping on doing what we do now. So, Absolutely. with regard to that, I think-
1: let, let, let me echo that with the thought that, uh, you know, how many times, you know, over the last three years did we? that we go through and we make a couple of changes here and there to tweak things, hopefully make things better where the end result was us saying YOLO in the, uh, in the merge commit. Right. Because what the hell difference does it make? Right. You know, only when you've lost everything, are you free to do anything? Ooh, good old Tyler Durden. So to rock's point, if it, if it dropped completely to zero, I'm still going to keep on keeping on because that means I get to play with more toys.
0: Yep, pretty much. So I think that pretty much covers all the questions that we've got so far in that thread. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, and one guy says when rebranding to Cucumber Token? <laughs> oh wait no here we go zero fuck says break down the staking rewards if you haven't please i'm at work gonna tune in later is there a transactional economy in addition to staking rewards like if the coin becomes adopted to pay for things and there are a thousand transactions in that block all paying a fee do stakers get part of that as a reward all right
1: let me pull it up here real quick Oh, Believe it or not, I I don't even have this stuff memorized sometimes. I got to look back at the articles that I've previously written in my notes to make sure that I'm explaining it
0: correctly. It's a lot to keep in RAM. I'm not going to lie. So to
1: to put it simply, each block reward, you know, like like we've talked about before is composed of not only the transaction fees. So the aggregate transaction fees in a block, just like what we have today, like many cryptocurrency projects have, but of course, also the a match of those transaction fees as new coins will be emitted each block. Now, the way that we've currently got it set out to carve up that block reward between all the parties that are involved is that 20% of that total block reward will go to the producer of the block, 20% to one of the validators in that particular round. 30% 30% to the users who staked that producer that produced a block with a maximum of 10 randomly selected stakers, as well as 30% or the remaining 30%, I should say, to the users who staked the validator that was selected uh, as the validator to be paid with that block. So in all, you know, it gets split four ways or, or th- through four different groups, I should say, but it actually gets split among 22, hopefully, independent parties.
0: So TTC, uh, that kind of sounds a little bit like your finder's reward almost.
2: Yeah, it does, and, uh, you know, definitely has me uh, interested. I know, uh, you know, that at least the community of minors we have in the clubhouse, that, you know, they're all really going to like that for sure
0: so as we're going through these explanations and things like that are there any questions that are coming to your mind or any concerns or anything like that
2: uh well i i do see there was another one here um you know they're asking um this is uh a dex Dex. i'm curious to know in your opinion what does turtle stand out with compared to other cryptocurrencies in the market uh for example uh, nano or monero achieve a similar purpose with narrow being private and nano having extremely low transaction fees where does turtle fit in filling a niche besides being notorious um i think before you guys answer that i'll just say i know for me um the the biggest thing that kind of drew me in was you know getting involved in the community it's definitely uh, unique um and it's you know my kind of people so you know i know you guys can probably speak a bit more about as far as you know some of the privacy features and things that are coming up in v2 that'll you know be unique and different to uh some of the other coins out there
0: yeah so the way that the way that things are going to work is we're going to get it uh whenever you compare it to nano we have a similar type of deal going on they also have transaction proof of work uh, but they're currently, suffer- well, not currently, but recently suffered a little bit from either that uh, that transaction proof of work Delta being driven up by malicious actors or a large amount of spam uh, entering the chain uh, because of the fee-less nature of it. And I think that we're kind of striking a... Uh, a good middle ground here by having not only the transactional proof of work, but also the uh, the fee in place, so that things like spam attacks are going to be a little bit less appealing for somebody that wants to make their point. Maybe they'll find a different way. So what makes that unique is that we're bringing privacy to that equation. So we're talking about whenever they talk about how do we compare to Monero. Um, Monero, you know, they do great jobs and uh, they're really doing a lot of great research and things like that. Uh, We're in a fortunate position where we're relaunching the chain and I don't think that that's something that they've maybe considered yet. So that affords us the ability to make some different decisions with regards to how our blocks are structured, how data is pruned, how, uh, how anonymous things are or how private things are whenever you're conducting yourself in transactions. So a big difference there would be a uh, a difference in the size of the anonymity pool, which is the amount of parties that your that your coins are mingling with whenever a transaction happens. So, inherent to the protocol is like a little function where the coins are not only anonymized as far as the way that they're labeled, but they're mixed around a little bit, and it's not really important how it happens, but it makes it to where somebody can't just take your address, like let's say you go and you buy a hot dog with TurtleCoin and you scan the little barcode with your phone, you make the payment, and if it were Bitcoin, somebody could just look up your address or look up that transaction and see who you, who's paying you, where you're spending your money, how much money you have in, in your wallet, and that could be a bad situation depending on how much money you have and where you're trying to spend it. So we don't make any assumptions that people will be okay with that. So having that good mixture of very low fees, very fast transactions, very low energy consumption on the chain, very low barriers to entry, I think that TurtleCoin is very much poised to be the first point of entry for people that want a little bit more. You know, we're starting to see Bitcoin blocks that are being touted as like the first fully validated Bitcoin blocks where... Uh, Goldman Sachs and different uh, banking institutions and, and financial regulators are saying, okay, these are the ordained transactions that are in this block. And, you know, very, very soon, we may see Bitcoin be a permissioned blockchain where only certain people can transact on the network. And that's, we're starting to see the closing of the gates for people that are looking for a way to take their Bitcoin off the network, maybe trade it for USD or something like that, and they're no longer enabled to do that. So there's going to become a time where these... Privacy chains and privacy networks are going to become very useful and just in the means of protecting yourself because you just don't need to be sharing with the guy that you buy a hot dog from how much money you have. That's just a risk that's just ridiculous. Even in traditional banking now, somebody can't just send you some money and know exactly how much is in your account. So I think that's a A reasonable thing that a lot of networks are not really focusing on and the ones that are focusing on it some are doing it in ways that aren't really practical like optional privacy and things like that with zcash if you have optional privacy you don't have privacy because then it's a reasonable assumption that anybody that needs that privacy is doing it for a reason they're probably doing something bad a lot of people say so Whenever every transaction, regardless, is the same level of private and a high level of private and also easy to access, I think that TurtleCoin is going to become a new standard in the first point of entry for people that need a little bit more. I hope this answers that, and I hope you guys didn't fall asleep in the middle of that. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk.
1: Yeah, and, and, and to kind of add to that, you know, one of the things, and I have to apologize because I, I did not offer a quick second, but I followed you a hundred percent when it got to the end. Just um, checking
0: your eyelids for holes, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Checking my eyelids for holes. Good news. There's none. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing that, that I like to think about when, when I think about V2 and the approach that we're taking, like Rock said, starting everything from scratch and being able to enable large mixing rings at the start, right? A lot of networks, including ourselves, as we've kind of progressed through things and worked our way through different upgrades to the network, to the, to the consensus protocols, to the way that the uh, mixing operates or signature schemes along the way, you carry all that old transactional data with you. You still have to support those older signature methods, you know, all that stuff there. And in some ways, you know, I've even heard those, those older transactions or those older mix-ins or those older outputs that you mix in, mix with referred to as tainted, you know, outputs that, that you could mix with because it reveals something about the, the transaction, right? You know, that it is spending funds that haven't been touched in five years, Right. You know, that's that's one of the things that is often overlooked as you kind of go through those upgrade processes that you, you got to keep carrying that along and you got to keep supporting that. You can't draw a hard line in the sand because then you don't know which, how much of your user base you're cutting the legs off on. Doing it from the start, we know that we're starting all at the same place, that the features are there, it's a high mixing level, and there's no such thing, you know, going into it of of tainted funds right
0: you know and that's the essence of fungibility a lot of people say you know we're fungible but what what they don't realize is fungible means if you can tell one coin from another it's not fungible if things aren't You know, identical, then it's not fungible. And fungibility matters, you know, just like we're seeing now with Bitcoin and with them saying that certain inputs, certain people are not permitted to transact on the network. And that's just not the vision whenever Bitcoin was created. That's not, that was not the point of it. And uh, I think it's kind of sad to see things going in this path, but hopefully Turtlecoin can right some of those wrongs or at least lead the community in a different direction or die trying.
2: Yeah, we can really tell you guys really thought this through like you guys, you know, you really put uh, a lot of time and effort into this and it, it really shows like you guys, you guys have, you know, thought through a lot of possibilities, a lot of different options. And I mean, I know it's always changing and I know you got to stay on top of it, but you know, it's uh, it's definitely noticeable. You
0: know, a lot of this comes from being in the community for a long time. Uh, a lot of us have been around since the beginning of Bitcoin and uh it's amazing to see things evolve and solidify into these legacy services. You know, we now have things like Coinbase. Who would have ever thought that things like that would happen? But I think with that, there's been some trade offs with the greater community injecting themselves into the crypto sphere, and there's things uh, uncomfortable uh, changes that are happening. And I think that things the the pace at which these uh, uh, new actors are injecting their ideas into the network is kind of outpacing the, uh, the rational thought as to what are we doing here? Uh, we've, we've got this great system here that's permissionless that's allowing people that may live in countries where it may cost them their life to transact in certain ways. You know, uh, They may not have the same rights that we have with regards to free speech, equality, and things like that. And whenever you start drawing little lines around who can transact on a permissionless network, it's no longer permissionless. You have to do things in certain ways to make sure that you're not going to be penalized for who you decide to transact with or who you decide to support, who you decide to buy things from. So if, if going to the wrong uh, you know, lunch the place for lunch is going to get me in trouble later, then what's the point? it's kind of like with PayPal, you know, you can't, you can't buy anything, uh, in certain categories. Like if you want to get like vape juice or something like that, you know, PayPal has been known to, to reject your transaction. If you want to, uh, transact with Coinbase, then, uh, certain banks in the U S don't want to do business with you. And if you have any affiliation at all with blockchain projects, they don't want to have anything to do with you. And that's just that's that's a terrible way to live to to be depersoned that way and to be disowned by the greater systems that the public depends on
1: thank you for that ted talk
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i think that uh that pretty much covers everything uh is there anything that you guys want to interject in there
1: Mega Millions is up to I think four hundred and sixty-eight million. When I uh, was at the gas station earlier, so again, I'm asking for uh, winning numbers. Four twenty. Sure. You know, I, I'm okay with taking the tax hit on this one. I'll share it. <laughs>
0: Hey, TTC, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And for any of you other guys out there that operate services or do things and are maybe new to the community, it would be a great opportunity to have you guys on the podcast. So feel free to let us know. TTC, thanks.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Very
0: All cool. right, guys. We
1: appreciate it. Till next time.
0: Till next time. This concludes this meeting at the Midnight Society. Everybody, be sure to subscribe at youtube.com turtlecoin. Very soon, we're going to be in a podcast app near you, so be sure to keep searching for TurtleCoin. We're actively trying to submit our feed. So uh, the rest of you, thank you very much. Join us in Discord at discord.gg turtlecoin, and we'll see you guys next time.